Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room where we talk all things comics and movies. This is episode number 24. We'll be discussing X-Men Apocalypse. So I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Elliot. Happy to be back. And I'm Troy. Happy to be back as well from Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> well, he hasn't really confirmed if he's back or not because he had to come in from Skype. So I'm still not convinced he's not sitting in some sort of hotel room. <laughs> Guys, we usually jump straight into the movie when we do our movie reviews, but because there was some pretty epic news over the last week, specifically relating to the Captain America and DC Rebirth comics, I thought we'd just briefly touch on that. In the next few episodes, we'll go in a little deeper, and a little later in the month, we're going to go through a full review of the DC Rebirth comic event. But starting with that, I had to consult a bit with Sanjay. He's been still on a little hiatus here. He's going to come back in full form and talk about this. But there's a slight revelation, and here I'm going to say spoilers, because these are two big things. And if you spent any time on the internet in the last week, you'll know about both of these, (laughs) specifically the Captain America one. Um, But DC had the big revelation that the Watchmen, and specifically Dr. Manhattan, was the one responsible for the New 52. And so they seemingly are kind of walking away from the New 52, stopping it at the 52 issues. And resetting the universe somewhat, keeping the continuity that seemingly people like from the New 52, and then reintegrating it back into the pre-Flashpoint universe. We're getting old Superman, what looks like to be three Jokers, and all sorts of mixed bag of stuff. I was immensely confused, and I was on several different articles. I went on Wikipedia. I still don't understand what's going on, and maybe because it's only been one issue. But it was interesting to see some of the reaction from DC fans and some of the few people I know how they're integrating the Watchmen who previously weren't, as far as I know, integrated into the DC universe proper. I think as we go through the DC Rebirth comic event a little later on the month, we'll get a bit more reveals as we get the number one issues, which are subsequently dropping over the next few weeks. The Batman, I think, is dropping this week, followed by Wonder Woman, Superman, and so on and so forth. I just wanted to acknowledge that quickly because that was such a, a huge event. And the one from me personally that was even bigger was the Captain America reveal. Which yes. yeah, <laughs> which I had slightly spoiled for me, but that was my own fault because I was a little bit behind on reading. But hashtag Hail Hydra, yeah, and yeah, it was just it's just a simple tag, and people were freaking out about this. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a cool twist, and I was super pumped because the whole book it's actually quite good. It's a lot of Hydra getting back to the grassroots that is Captain America, which I really really love, and this twist at the end. And knowing that it was happening, you could see it building because it's actually flashing back and forth between his childhood and present day. The one thing I didn't like about it is they're hinting towards the fact that this was something that was basically seeded in him from a child, yeah, which hmm. is kind of weird. Yeah. And the writers come forward and said, this isn't brainwashing. This isn't a clone, a life model decoy. This is Captain America yeah. proper. So I don't know. I think it's it's kind of a cool development. It's something very different. And something I'm interested in, I'm quite intrigued by it. I'm not ticked off at all. But I think they just give people, pump the brakes a bit, wait and see. Because Marvel, like, they, they plan these out. They're not idiots. <laughs> so I don't know if they're going to go down this pathway where he actually is a hydration or he's deep cover or something. I don't know. Good, uh, it's a dark, dark take for the, for the character, though. That's kind of nice, eh? Yeah, yeah. something, yeah, very different. Because... You know, I was I was talking before. I'd really like to see Captain America back to you know the foundation, fighting Hydra, fighting hand to hand, and all that sort of thing. And I'm getting that, but then it's a twist on it because we've seen that for 75 years, right? Yeah. More or less, him doing that same thing. And this is something we haven't seen, right? Yeah. So people were all ticked off when they found out that 
Bucky was a Winter Soldier. They resurrected Bucky, and now that's like one of the most celebrated Captain America arcs yeah. of all time. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think uh, Chris Evans sent out a tweet, and it was him reading the the, the comic book. And I think the caption he said was, say it ain't so, Cap, yeah. or something like that. I'm sure someone someone listening, I'm sure, can correct me, but uh, I believe that's what it was. So that's <laughs> Well, it's, it's nice that those guys are, are chiming in, because even some of the guys from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, specifically Brett Dalton, who plays Agent Grant Ward, yeah. was tweeting and was like, oh, I'm, I guess Cap, I guess he got the, the basket we sent him. Read the comics pretty deeply. What do you call? It? What was the the computer, the sentient that gave Cap his powers back? Oh, that was Kovic. Uh, yeah. So he thinks she is a woman, right? I believe. Yeah, it's a child. It's a child that's, or it's actually a cosmic cube that's become sentient and right. it's produced itself into like a child form. And so you think that they could. Uh, so it could have been. They could fall back on that and use that as say when she, you know, restored his powers. That right. they tweak something in his brain or change something in his past. I don't right. know. That's one of the things I thought of too. Was like that's a way to get out of all this at the end of it, and just right. be like, "Oh, hey, it was a cosmic cube. We can reverse yeah, it." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and just uh, even actually connecting the two Marvel universes for a second, we have the MCU and the the X Men universe. Prior to this reveal, of course, you can imagine Captain America, who got his formidable years in the war fighting against the Nazis, and Magneto, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, spent time obviously in the in Auschwitz. You can imagine they would have been on the same side in a Civil War movie. And here we have now Captain America coming out with uh, he's part of Hydra, which obviously Magneto would have not have been too happy with. No, if, <laughs> of course, if they were in the same movie universe, which they're not. But <laughs> well, great just, way. Just a side note. Yeah. <laughs> Great way to segue. This week we're here yeah. to talk about X Men Apocalypse. We all saw it, and sure did. We're gonna we're gonna go into this straight into spoilers, guys. We're not gonna do any any talk high level. We're gonna go straight into this. So for anyone who hasn't seen this and listening, pause it, go check it out. I would highly highly recommend going and checking it out at a landmark cinema recliner seat. So I just found out about these new lazy boys that landmark cinemas has in their theaters and what a way to watch a movie <laughs> like i took my shoes off kick back it's this big lazy boy thing and i rocked it solo no one else i no one was around to go and i went on late sunday night and i just stumbled into this by accident and i found myself in a lazy boy for like 16 bucks or something like i highly recommend going and checking out a movie that way that is quite a way to to experience something Hashtag Landmark Cinemas. Hashtag yeah. Sponsor Us. Yeah. <laughs> was it a 3D uh, showing? Yeah, it was 3D. Actually, that's something we can talk about. What did you guys think of the 3D experience? Didn't do anything for me. No. No, and I did see a 3D, but I wouldn't have noticed what the glasses are worth up. Um, you know what? To be honest, I saw the movie twice. And I saw it once not in 3D and once in 3D. And the 3D actually, I mean, it didn't enhance it much. I generally don't really care for 3D movies that much just because... I like life in 3D and movies I'm okay with being in 2D. Um, but, you know, I did enjoy it a little bit more. Cool. Yeah, it gives that a little extra added depth, I think. Particularly in the Egypt scenes and that, I felt it gave you a little yeah. bit of perception of how big some of these rooms actually were. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I didn't really notice that. I found myself becoming a bit annoyed with the glasses towards the end. Yeah, I don't know. I just find 3D movies are a little unnecessary in general. Yeah. But... Hey, that's just me. <laughs> so I walked into this movie expecting to have more of a Batman versus Superman type experience. <laughs> and I didn't have high hopes going into this thing. And we talked about in previous podcasts that 
I felt like I was going to see just another X-Men movie. What was the guy's initial reactions coming out of the movie theater? Just just your overall feel. You know, were you happy with it? Were you upset with it? Were you frustrated? Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was pretty frustrated. I was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty let down, pretty disappointed. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, by this one. Yeah, yeah. I learned my lesson going into uh, BBS not to have such high expectations. And I tried doing that with this movie and it still felt, still felt pretty flat for me. Okay, well, we will get into the Elliot. Uh-huh. I know you were looking forward to this. You were pretty hyped about I this. I was pretty hyped about it, and I liked it. I mean, there are obviously things that we're going to talk about that kind of uh, didn't hit, and a few things that I felt really did hit. And overall, I, I mean, I liked, first of all, I, li- I liked the story, actually. I um, I mean, you know, we talked about last week, are they going to do any time travel stuff, which they didn't do, and I'm happy about. Overall, I really did enjoy it. Yeah, and that was something going in that it was pretty divided. There was fans and critics alike that weren't giving this very good praise. And that was reflected somewhat in the box office. Three-day total for this, $65 million, which falls short of the initial estimates of $80 million coming from the industry and falls way short of of mine in particular, <laughs> estimate of over $100 million taken. That's the three days. So the four-day Memorial Day weekend, it did do $80 million, but it fell way short of the previous entry of Days of Future Past. And it's we're just above X-Men First Class, actually, which was, yeah. I believe, the lowest opening within the franchise itself, maybe with right. the exception of the Wolverine. It's, uh, it was competing a bit. It had Alice through the looking glass to compete with, which absolutely bombed. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, hard. <laughs> hard. That thing only pulled in like $24 million compared to oh. its four-day total from the, the last one was like over $100 million. Huh. Um, so that didn't take too much business away. So we talked a lot about this idea of superhero fatigue, X-Men fatigue maybe in particular. And maybe we are seeing that. I was talking to Sanjay a bit about it because he was quite shocked at how poorly it did. Yeah. And he thinks that we're starting to see this superhero fatigue wear in on us now. That we've gone through the only the first part of the summer and we've already had four enormous superhero movies. Right. And, you know, is that starting to wear in on people? Are people ready for something different, like a, a Jungle Book or something like that that's done fantastic? But anyway, so fan, critical reception, whatever. Bottom line, I'm looking for a good movie. And I think there are elements of that in here. We, yeah, we, like, I agree. There's there's some good stuff and there's some stuff that I have some issues with. And I think we should get right into that. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So... I have to talk quickly about continuity. <laughs> okay. Do you really want to bring this up? I'm going to, I'm going to start on a maybe a particularly low note for this movie. Um, so this this takes place about 12 years after Days of Future Past and some 21 odd years after X Men First Class. And the first issue I have is no one's aged a single day. Not a day. Not even a day. <laughs> Some people, in fact, look younger. Alex Summers, whom I thought was dead, yeah. <laughs> is back looking like a baby-faced man. Yeah. Uh, Quicksilver, who apparently was 18 in the last movie and is still 18, maybe? Living right. in his mom's basement, playing the same video games? Yeah. No. <laughs> so, again... Brian Singer, I do not know why he does not care about continuity. Even continuity that he built in yeah. Days of Future Past, his own movie, exactly. he's not paying attention to. And we'll get into a bit of the stuff with William Stryker and Wolverine in that. And I do not know what's going on there. We They tease something at the end of Days of Future Past with Stryker, the Mystique Eyes. Yeah. And there's no follow-up, not even acknowledgement of it. I think it's one of those things where it's a movie and you got to ignore some of it. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I don't know if you want to cut that out. <laughs> no, I think that it's, it's very fair. Sometimes, and I agree, you have to go into a movie and shut your brain off. Yeah. 
But at the same time, you have to expect some form of responsibility for following up on the seeds that you plant in previous movies. You can't yeah, just, true. with yeah. these particular type of movies, you can't just plant something and then forget about it. Yeah. Like, there wasn't even any mention of Days of Future Past that we've changed the whole timeline and yeah. all this kind of stuff. I met my future self. I did this. I did that. <laughs> and we'll get into that a bit with uh, the Apocalypse with Apocalypse himself. But this continuity thing is really starting to bother me. It's and uh, I tried to step back from it a bit and just say, I'm going to watch this movie and take it as a standalone movie to see if it passes that first and then try to bring in, you know, what sort of continuity is it stepping all over before giving it a, a full on judge for not following or not adhering to its own in-universe continuity. Yeah. I think that's what you kind of have to do. And that's, it's almost what you're saying, Elliot, is that you have just to accept that it's a standalone movie and then we can build into that and see what going forward, what might be better for maybe yeah. a different director to take on. I mean, it's definitely really frustrating because you want this whole universe to be built around these characters, but like you said, you're not seeing anything from one movie to the next that's maintaining that. And but it's so, not like he even switched directors or writers or anything. It's yes. the same guys. I lost his notes. He lost his notes, maybe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so the opening sequence of this, I actually kind of like this. So we, we flash right back to ancient Egypt. And we get picking up not right where we left off in Days of Future Past because we had the young child apocalypse, but picking up somewhere down the line where we have an older, more mature apocalypse who is actually transferring his consciousness into other mutants. And that's the way he's building his power base. That's the way he doesn't die, is that he yeah. transfers his conscience from one person or from one mutant into the next and then, you know, absorbs their powers and starts over from a younger body. Which I think was kind of a cool way to address the fact that how he had so many powers. Because we were talking about, about last week that when you're talking about evolution, your first evolution is something very different, right? He has an extra toe or he can smell slightly better. <laughs> Not that he's the all-powerful god mutant. Right. And so this was a cool way I thought that he somehow has some sort of technology that he can transfer his consciousness into another body and take up those powers. So that it's almost got a bit of a Deadpool vibe at the end of X-Men Origins Wolverine, where they've kind of like shoved a whole bunch of mutant powers into him. <laughs> and so I thought that was a neat way to address the issue that I was having with, you know, how is this, this the first mutant, if you will, have so many powers and is this godlike mutant. And I like the way that they did this, but I didn't understand where the technology came from. Like a simple drop line of, it was the Celestials that gave it to us yeah. <laughs> or aliens or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know from the comics if that's something or I don't understand, didn't yeah. really understand. And maybe it doesn't need explanation. You get the concept that he's transferring from one body to another. And maybe that's just too much to think about. But because that hinges later on and how he actually wakes up, I was looking for a little more there to help me bridge the gap between where this kind of ancient technology is coming from and right. how this whole transferring of consciousness works. Yeah. So a couple drop lines in there, I think, would have really helped. Yeah, I agree. And it was a bit it was a bit hard for me because, you know, it's almost even though it is his power, it's almost like you need this. He needed to build this giant temple with this huge infrastructure to be able to use his power to transfer. But mm. Has he been doing this for generations? <laughs> Where are all the other pyramids? Yeah. yeah. Uh, or or was this more of uh, a ceremony now that he's in ancient Egypt and it's kind of expected? Huh. Yeah, because he was talking about being alive for thousands and thousands of years. Right. And I assumed that it, he was kind of birthed within the old ancient Egypt time. Right. 
But it was giving some indications mm. that this had been going on for quite some time. Yeah, he did say tens of thousands. I yeah, think, I, that's what I was going to say. I couldn't remember if that was right is, or not, but yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. I mean, it's 5,000 years prior to where the movie starts, yeah. basically, or four and a half or something. And he walks out, and his four horsemen that he has there, I don't know if they're actually established mutants or what, but they have some pretty cool powers. Yeah. Um, for that, that initial fight scene where we have Apocalypse being betrayed by Egyptian soldiers as being this false god. And they execute this plan, which I have another question about. Who builds a giant pyramid that four guys with sledgehammers can knock down? No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Those guards who don't want Apocalypse to live. Well, I guess. Uh, but the, my assumption was that Apocalypse built that pyramid. So why would he have a failsafe to collapse it? Right. <laughs> with uh, it would, making it so easy. You're asking too many questions here. <laughs> okay, I'm getting I'm getting in too much yeah, into it already. I think I, I'm going to put that under the category of nitpicking, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so we do see kind of the establishment of Apocalypse here as four horsemen, and we see how he essentially goes to sleep. What did you think of the concept of essentially removing Apocalypse from the timeline for five thousand years up until present day, or till the 1980s when we come into the movie? Uh, I would have liked if they went more of a comic. I mean, Elliot can correct me if I'm wrong, but I like that one of the comics where he just kind of took on like historical figures and kind of was watching the Earth as opposed to being like having this Power Rangers moment where he gets sealed away underground and then is awoken by Charles Xavier's love interest, which is a, another, uh, another downfall, I think, in this movie. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I, I didn't really like it so much how, uh, how he's uh, held underground for 5,000 years. I'm going to go the opposite route. Yeah. I didn't mind that he was kind of sleeping for all that time. And I think part of the reason is, you know, if he's awake for this whole time, then you need to introduce some other reason why all of a sudden at this point in time, he's coming out and and now he wants to conquer, conquer the world. You know, he's seen the world grow, so he doesn't have to learn anything and he's not overtaken with these superpowers and these nuclear weapons. So I, I just kind of found, you know, it's a good way to introduce him and bring him back. The one thing I really didn't like was that it was Moira who woke him up. Yeah. Oh, That's man. I mean, yeah. I fully agree. And the fact that it was basically an accident. Yeah. Yeah. That just because that carpet wasn't down when the sunlight was coming in. Brutal. I really like, I, I'm going to side a bit here with Troy. I really like the idea of the concept that Apocalypse is someone that is waiting to conquer right. the earth, waiting for the right moment to emerge. And I think they really missed an opportunity here to play on the events of Days of Future mm. Past and have that being the point at which they've skewed the timeline. Okay, he wakes up. People are powerful enough. There's enough mutants on Earth. I can right. now emerge and conquer Earth and take over with the people that I want to take over. Yeah. They And having it where it's just basically these worshippers are down there chanting to him and Moira happens to go in at the right time yeah. and then he gets sunlight shining on this this, again, what I was saying is this technology that we don't really know what's going on, why the sun hits it and all of a sudden it all works. Yeah. I don't know. And that's fine. You could have just said aliens. I would have been happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, aliens. But yeah. the fact that that's how he woke up and that's the reason he woke up, why are we, are we to assume that in the previous timeline that Moira never went into Egypt and never yeah. found Apocalypse? So. Like that's, yeah. I guess, what you have to assume from this is why he'd never woken up in the original timeline. Right. Just that yeah. and, and that answers your question from last week about how that, you know, why he doesn't come out in that original timeline. Yeah. Right. So, but it just seems like a really, it's like a nothing point. Like, if yeah. the difference between Apocalypse waking up and not waking up is 
the timing that Moira goes into the into the, the tunnel or whatever. Yeah, and right. why is she there investigating? I guess they kind of so, get into it a bit. To think that the people who are chanting didn't just leave the rug open to try I don't know, or to do whatever. <laughs> and now all of a sudden... It's a bit of a plot contrivance, right? It's a convenient way <laughs> yeah. to bring back in Moira McTaggart into the fold, who was absent yeah. from Days of Future Past, and also wake up Apocalypse at the same time, and then have him create or do his thing kind of right off the bat here. Yep. Yeah, that's that's sounds about right to me. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about. So we're talking about Apocalypse Hero. He he kind of emerges. For me, this was my one of my biggest issues with the movie was actually the villain. Yeah, I liked the story that they built around the X Men, but I was really struggling with Apocalypse. His his look was a bit off, but I can get by that. That's fine. Yeah. I'm I'm not super tied to the Apocalypse look, and I understand that adapting things from comic onto film is very difficult from time to time and if you need something a bit more practical fine go that way but the fact that he really doesn't do a whole heck of a lot throughout this movie and that that yeah. really started to bother me and i didn't like his voice how it was changing all the time how they're distorting it to make him sound a bit more all-powerful godlike Right. You know, what did you guys think of Apocalypse in this movie? Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I didn't mind how he was introduced kind of there when he came back up to the 5,000 years and kind of, you know, used that power when he put the guy in the wall. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. His eyes were kind of cool there. But, um, yeah, overall, he, he like many other things in this movie, he kind of felt a little bit of a, of a throwaway. I thought there's so much more potential for this, this villain, this character, to be actually the best villain in any X-Men movie. And, I definitely feel like they didn't achieve that in this in this movie. Yeah, but I, I can see past the makeup. The makeup really did bother me at first, but then actually, after as I was, as I was watching the movie, I was like, okay, I, I get it. Like he's not going to be the apocalypse from the comics. He's not going to become a giant unless he's fighting Xavier in his head. He, he was kind of a little bit of a letdown for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree on a few points. I liked when he his voice kind of got deeper and just sounded more ominous. But other times when he was just talking normally, it it felt a little flat for me. The other thing is Apocalypse is supposed to be this this huge menace. And when you see him standing next to the other four horsemen, he just looks small. He blends yeah. in, yeah. yeah. Also, I don't think Oscar Isaac's a big guy. No. And they haven't given him lifts. They haven't... They, they haven't... I mean, I know they, they did give him some lifts to make him look bigger, but yeah. they needed to do more. They needed to figure yeah. out how to make Apocalypse seven feet tall or something or just... Just look bigger. I mean, they did it in Lord of the Rings pretty well. Yeah. They can, they can do this. perspective shots, right? Yeah. That's all they need to do. Yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah, again, it was... They needed him make him look more imposing. Because it's right. When I think back to the images when they're going in and out of the, the portals, I believe that Psylocke are making, he always is kind of just in there. and the, He's in the front, but he kind of fades into the other three of them. Because yeah. even Olivia Munn's a pretty tall person. Like, if you were to show up in your front step, you wouldn't be like... Holy shit! Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I, like a Thanos build, pretty much, right? Like he's he's basically a Thanos kind of physique. Yeah, well, he's supposed to like Thanos is like eight or ten feet tall, and that's right. what you want out of Apocalypse. Yeah, and you want um, something that's someone that's physically imposing. And yeah, like you said, that's not too much of a difference. It's not a big stretch to do this, considering a lot of this was shot with green screen and that at the same yeah. time. Oh man! <laughs> um, I mean, as far as his power goes, and I do think we talked about this last week that Apocalypse was really, you know, let other people do his bidding and let other yeah. people do his work. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into the final fight scene where he doesn't do anything, anyways. But I think during the movie, you know, he's there to have other people do the work, have other people do the fighting. So. I mean, they didn't. They didn't do anything during the movie, anyways. But 
Uh, just, just basically in defense of him also not doing anything during the movie. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more display of Apocalypse's powers because as we go through the movie, we see him do some pretty cool things. But at the same time, he's not really doing much at all other than going around and, and gathering people up. Like I'm getting a feel of, of like an Expendables where we're going to each and every different place and picking up different mutants. And he's talking about these mutants like they're the most all-powerful mutants. But it seems to be the first four mutants that he runs into with yeah. the exception of maybe Magneto and Angel that are actually he's brought to. Right. That they're just kind of there. Caliban. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Talk a bit about the the Four Horsemen here. So this is a concept that is right through all the comic books. We knew who the Four Horsemen were going into the movie. And the first one we're introduced here is Storm. And the actress is fantastic, I thought. Agreed. And she's rocks the mohawk. Yeah. The accent is great. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. I thought they were just going to go something more generic, more American. And they had kind of this cool, I'm not sure if it was South African or African accent that they had, but I really liked that and I really liked her character. Although, again, she doesn't really do a whole hell of a lot in the movie. I think we can agree that three out of the four horsemen don't do a whole lot in the movie. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> you know, we spoke about last week, how he's going to get these people on board. And he seems to be, at least in the case of Storm, he's gone and he's pursued someone that is looking for a leader. She's, you know, talking a lot about Mystique being kind of this mutant messiah, this this person that she wants to strive to be, and, and she wants to fight for the mutants in that way. And this guy comes along and says, I can give you all of this that you're looking for, and I can increase all your powers. At the start, he's preying on, I think, the weaker-minded people that are looking for a leader. And then as we go through this into Psylocke, Olivia Munn, I, I thought it looked great, and the, the powers that she had were really cool, and she's just kind of lurking in the background almost the whole time. Yeah. But again, she was someone that was looking for something, someone to follow, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a bit of that mind control with Storm. And my take with Psylocke as well was there was some mind control when they made eye contact in that basement there. I'm not exactly sure if there was or not, but that's kind of the take that I took on it. And as well with Angel, once we get to it, I think, you know, he he transformed Angel and I think he imbued him and controlled him from that point as well. Yeah, but Storm never shows any battle or internal battle where she's trying to break the lock that Apocalypse has on her. She just kind of sees what he's doing and she snaps out of it, like whether it is some sort of mind control or she's actually realizing what he's doing isn't exactly what she right. thought he was supposed and, to be doing. And I think that point where she comes out of it is because she saw Apocalypse killing Mystique. And as she says in the movie, Mystique is her hero. She wants to be like Mystique. She wants to join with Mystique and, and follow her. And then you have Apocalypse, who's just killing everybody who's against him and everybody else is weak. And so to me, that's, even though it's during the fight scene we'll talk about later, I think that's what turned Storm and her mind turned back over. That is a good point, that it did have something to do with Mystique. It was that that kind of mm -hmm. flipped her back. So let's, let's talk a bit about the third horseman here, Angel. So he was introduced in a kind of a cool death cage match with Blob, which yeah. is a, a great throw-in. <laughs> I enjoyed that because I looked at it and I was like, oh my god, that's really cool. To... So I'm assuming he's killed Blob. They kind of really yeah, don't. They're not I really mean, clear on it. but Yeah, they don't say if it's ever if it's a fight to the death or if it's just a fight to knockout type of thing. So Blob could be. He, he looked pretty cool. I'm happy that that was a cool, nice little throw-in. Like it just wasn't like a throwaway guy that you did. It was just some random mutant or whatever. It was the blob. Like it was someone that was recognizable. And he had that the big wrestler black thing with the yellow stripe on. 
So it's kind of more of his comic book look that he yeah. had in there as well. Yeah. And then they had him fight Nightcrawler, who again, fantastic ad, I thought. The kid nailed the accent. Accent was crazy good. Yeah. yeah. The the whole like how he carried himself and the personality of Nightcrawler, to me, he he nailed that. Now, I'm really interested in your opinion here, Elliot. Like, what did you think? Because I know you're a big Nightcrawler. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I thought, I mean, like you said, I think the actor was really good. He added a little bit of comic relief, but he yeah. was still he was still there and fighting. That cage match with, with Angel, you could see the hesitation, and he didn't really want to fight. And, you know, as a religious guy, I think that's kind of, you know, his thing is he's he's religious, and... So he doesn't really want to fight as much as somebody else might want to, I think. is. Um... But when push comes to shove, he, he's, he's a good fighter. He's got, yeah. That tail was really cool that they yeah. had in there. And again, the effects that they had and the way they utilized his power, again, I thought was really cool. It didn't land the same way that the White House yeah. right at the start of X2 did. Yeah, no, but I, I don't think they're actually going for something like that. But at the same time, I thought it was a good use of his powers. Can you explain to me this whole electrical fence thing that they keep going to in the movie to, to basically shut down the mutants' powers? Again, I think it's a really contrived way of saying we can't have yeah. them using their powers because it's a really easy way for them to escape is just to right. use their mutant yeah. powers. So we're going to have this way where this electrical fence... But, or whatever. I didn't yeah. get that. I mean, they've done that in the comics too, yeah. right? It's never really... Nece- I, I don't know if I've ever seen it as a fence necessarily, but they've done collars. Yeah. All the time, and they do that. I mean, they did in the cartoons. I've done that in comics. It, it's a bit of a easy way to control. I don't think it's outside of comic book lore or no. canon. So, yeah, I agree. It's a little bit wonky, but it just seemed like an easy plot device. And again, I felt this a bit through the movie too. Was that when they needed their powers to not work? It, it was just an easy way. Yeah. They're shutting them on and off. So there's a lot of inconsistency in powers. And I think you saw that at the end of the Quicksilver scene, where they shoot that big sonic cannon, mm-hmm. and he doesn't see it coming or can't stop it like it's literally or nightcrawler no the quicksilver when they shoot the night can or the uh, The... sound cannon or whatever yeah yeah like it's literally traveling at the speed of sound and he should be able to get away from that at least but yeah again it's this inconsistency when they need the powers to work for the plot they do that i i I think the electric fence i'm less on board with than i am with the whole government facility creating this this contraption to not let them use their powers like in the helicopter yeah i mean electric fence is an electric fence and i probably should be able to bounce out of that well all of them i'm fine with some of them but not gene gray and nightcrawler having their powers dampened because gene gray is a psychic like it shouldn't matter yeah and nightcrawler he's and he says in the movie i can go where i can see yeah but you know it's related to the x gene so even though she is a psychic Technically, she has an extra this extra X gene, and so they in the helicopter, for instance, have found a way to dampen that specific gene, right? So her yeah. psychic ability is related to that. I mean, you could imagine, for instance, if Wolverine was in there, he wouldn't heal. I guess. Yeah. You would say something like that. I mean, I was surprised that in the helicopter, they, Scott didn't take off his, go- his <laughs> glasses and try, you know, before they'd left the land, yeah. just be like, rip off his glasses and shoot the top off, and nothing happens again. Yeah. But I guess they went two out of three, tried and failed, so... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what can you do? And so Angel gets pretty beat up in this fight with Nightcrawler once the Nightcrawler kind of takes off the gloves. And then we, when we revisit him with Apocalypse when he's rounding up the four horsemen here, his wing's all damaged and he's all pissed off. You know, he's kind of gone into drunk. seclusion. He's drunk. And Apocalypse fix him. And it looks painful, but it looks really cool when they're done. 
What did you think of his archangel sort of appearance in the movie? I thought, it, you know, it's kind of weird, actually, that scene when he gives everybody their costumes, right? Because he gives Archangel this cool, crazy armored suit, and he gives he gives everybody an armored suit except Olivia Munn's character who's wearing, like, next to nothing, which is cool because he looks right out of the comic book, but at the same time, I kind of scratched my head. They're like, wait a second, that's that's kind of weird. But, um, yeah, the Archangel scene was cool. I, I like that. I didn't really like how he became, like, he's, like, had this little loner moment where he's drunk and he's listening to, like, some heavy metal, and Apophis comes over there and, you know recruits him but um yeah it's all right it's neat i like how they address the idea of them getting armor because at first i was like how are they just all of a sudden come in with these badass costumes and then they show right. apocalypse kind of yeah. in the corner making the armor with his hand in that it's like yeah. okay fair enough <laughs> <laughs> to be honest my first question about angel is why is he in east germany and how did he get there? Good question. Because he uh, looks like he's about in his early 20s. Or yeah, whatever. I guess. You know, I mean, he flies, so he yeah. probably just flew there and then they caught him. I don't know. <laughs> That's just another question for another time, I guess. His transformation, I thought, was really cool. I was expecting a shout-out to a new name. I mean, he yeah, got credited uh, as, as Warren Worthington III and Angel and Archangel, but you never see him say Archangel. Where he doesn't yeah. come up. And Apocalypse says in the movie, like, Rise, Angel, or whatever yeah. it is. And right. that was the perfect time for him to say, Angel is dead, I am Archangel. You know? Yeah. And just like throw it. that out there. And, I mean, I saw the movie twice, and I noticed that the first time. And that's that's another thing with Angel. So the impact in the Fall of the Mutant storyline of Angel turning to Archangel was that he was dead, and he's come back, but he has this history with the X-Men. I don't think that impact is there for, for the characters or for even the, the viewers that, oh my god, all of a sudden Archangel... Our angel is now Archangel. It would have been better if he maybe started off with the X Men, or if you had a character start off with the X Men in that X. group at maybe Professor X's school, and he's recruited from there, mm. and X. then you have them fighting a peer, someone that they've yeah. they've gone to school with, someone that they have a relationship with. To me, that would have had more impact on the Four Horsemen, and I guess you get a bit of that with Magneto. But his whole story, I think, is, is very well developed in the movie, but as a horseman, isn't that well explored as far as his relationship to the others because they just really find out kind of at the end that he's doing this. And so there's no real development other than the fact that, you know, we'll talk about the end fight scene of what happens right at the end there. But I think if they had to have one of those characters, if it was Storm or Angel or Psylocke, whatever, one of them was part of yeah. the X-Men to begin with, to me that would have had way more impact and way more weight behind it when they're in this final battle and they're trying to convince a friend like look like you're doing the wrong thing and that's where you get yeah you're leaning a bit on the idea that that storm switched because of mystique but it would have had more impact for me if they had a relationship before beyond her admiration of mystique as this mutant messiah or of this hero figure and just talking through it now i mean that like you know like i just said why is he in east germany he didn't have to be in East Germany. No. <laughs> uh, that would have been an, an opportunity for Angel. I mean, Storm is in, is in Egypt, which works where Apocalypse comes out. Yeah. Psylocke is this character who's smuggling yeah, you know, other mutants. She's a mercenary. It works out that she's there. She smuggled herself in somehow, and she's working with Caliban to get mutants out for obviously big money. And Angel, being an original X-Men... Would have been really easy to put him in the school. Yeah, you could have you could have written that in there. That yeah. would have been. That you wouldn't have to change really anything, right? Like Very little. Yeah. <laughs> just the how day. they just how they just how apocalypse gets to him, really. Yeah. So, and why do you think Mystique? Or uh, we shouldn't even call her Mystique because she spends almost zero time as the true Mystique form. But why do you think she's there specifically to save Nightcrawler? Do you think there's some relationship that they're hinting at there? Because in the comics, Mystique is his mother. Yeah. Yeah. And. 
why isn't she there to save Angel? It's again. I mean, she's not there to save Angel because she no, didn't exactly. But why, if she's this, if she's out there saving mutants and almost herself acting like a mercenary, why isn't she there to save Mora? Surely they have some yeah. locked up in the back. Why didn't she also go for Angel? At the yeah. Same time? yeah, and you know this continuity-wise, this actually works to keep with if Nightcrawler is Mystique's daughter, it still works because you know obviously after X Men First Class, Mystique and Azazel go off with Magneto and. From what I've read as well, Mystique ages a bit slower just due to her mutation. Mm -hmm. So she could appear to be the same age, even though she's 20 years older. Um, So in that time, you know, if her and Azazel hooked up at the beginning and Nightcrawler's 18 years old or so, give or take. So you could have... Continuity-wise, it does does fit. It it fits with the timeline, yes, you're Mm -hmm. correct. Like that fact is she was 20 and first class, she'd be 40-some-odd in this movie. Looking like she's 20. Yeah. <laughs> but sure, yeah, I, I agree with you that they've left that open. Yeah. And if, that, if that's a small plot hole that they could fill in a next movie saying, well, actually, you're my son, mm-hmm. and I abandoned you because of this or whatever, yeah. right? I thought that was a, a something, again, a little throwaway line somewhere in the movie could have made that, again, something that made a bit more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, why she wasn't there to collect Angel, right? And yeah. having... A more established relationship that would have again more impact. I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities here to establish some sort of connection to the characters, both within the movie with each other and with the audience. Is that they're, we're doing all this, but you're not feeling a connection that there's some weight behind why she's actually there. Mm-hmm. Right. If they had a, had even a scene where Nightcrawler was was stolen from somewhere or the X Mansion or Angel was stolen and was put and taken into the circus or whatever and made to fight, and she's there to save them, or they do some sort of rescue mission. I don't know. I just needed something more to connect me to these characters because all I'm feeling like is that we're getting this big introduction of a lot of characters and a lot of good characters, but I'm not connecting any of the dots as to how they know each other, why, they, why they're why they in specific spots, and I don't feel, that again, that there's a lot of weight behind certain transformations, particular people going into the, the Four Horsemen. I agree. With the exception of Magneto, right. which is by far the best arc in this movie. And I'm and going over all three movies, like the the and I'm going to call it like the tragedy of Eric Leshner. That his arc throughout this whole trilogy of movies, starting with First Class, and having Fassbender as Magneto, the laying down sometimes even not the greatest dialogue, but he freaking nails this role. Yeah, and the the effort and time that's been put into his kind of small arc within this overall storyline that they've developed through these three movies is by far my most favorite part. I was so enthralled with that the beginning where he's in Poland and he's trying to live a normal life. He's trying to contribute to society and he's got a wife, a daughter. He seems like he's okay. He's accepted his role in the world as being just a guy that goes to work and comes home and bees with his family. I thought that was just fantastically done. The original movies, I don't like using the word original trilogy because it makes me feel like Star Wars. <laughs> but the original timeline movies, Magneto was... The, the main antagonist through all three. You had varying kind of cronies that were, were there helping him, but he was the antagonist to this whole thing. Whereas these three movies, he's not. Yeah. He's a character in the background that continues to suffer. And you see why, and if they go with the Magneto further on in the future as being this this mutant that is with the, the Brotherhood of You mutants, I can see how they've developed that. Like he's, we're starting off with as a child, he's you know, in the concentration camp in Auschwitz. 
And then we go into the, the next movie, Days of Future Past. And we have Bolivar Trask, who's like trying to, to basically create genocide of yeah. the mutant culture yeah. and round them up and kill them all. And then we go into the future. And again, we've seen what that's progressed to. We're hinging on the fact that he's got Jewish heritage, you know, genocide of, of the Jews in, in the Holocaust. Again, we're seeing a similar or parallel there with the mutants in Days of Future Past. And then we go into this where he's accepted a lifestyle. And then his, his, his daughter and wife, wife yeah. are accidentally <laughs> killed again because he's a mutant, because he's yeah. different. And yes, he did, you know, destroy a good chunk of Washington. <laughs> And that's right out of the comics. Yeah, some of the, those yeah. scenes, right? That they don't get killed in the same way. I don't think his wife is killed, but his daughter's his daughter. His daughter's killed. I can't remember. Slightly that. different name, but his daughter appears to be a mutant in the movie, mm-hmm. and that carried a ton of weight for me. And then when he kills yeah. them with the locket, yeah. that had his parents' pictures in it. Yeah. Like, I feel the anguish. Oh. So I can see why he's gone with Apocalypse, but again, I'm a little confused by using Auschwitz as the point at which Apocalypse finally breaks him down and gets him to join him. Because I find, you know, you were going back to Auschwitz where, you know, atrocities were committed, uh, genocide of a culture, and then we have Apocalypse standing behind him within Auschwitz saying, I want to do the same thing to the rest of the planet. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it brings Magneto back to that space in his head where he wants revenge yeah you know and he he want tried the normal life and he tried to be a citizen and a person and they killed his family for no other reason than they were different and i think that that's the point he's getting to when he go when apocalypse takes him takes him to auschwitz and says you know you have a chance to get revenge for your family that was murdered the people who did this to you aren't gonna stop mm-hmm. so you need to join with me and we'll, you know, we'll rule the world. We'll take over and we'll make sure that it can never happen again. So yeah, it is a bit, <laughs> we're going to deal with the genocide that happened to you and the murders that happened to you by killing everyone else. <laughs> but, but I think those like revenge and, and anguish and those feelings are, are hard to deal with. He got him at the right time in his life when... Well, he, he, he recruited a broken man. Yeah, exactly. A man that was willing to do anything. In the past, again, he was willing to do a lot for mutant kind, but now he's just out to kill. You feel that pain in that scene that when he runs over and has them both in his arms and he's just furious and you can feel that. And that's one of the most impactful scenes that and a bit I find too when he was in Auschwitz and he's standing there and, you know, we still have all the the buildings are up Mm -hmm. but empty. We have the gates and all that. And it's and it flashes back a couple of times to the scenes in first class. Yeah. And I think that's very powerful what they did with that Magneto story. Yeah. I agree. And a lot of that too, because this trilogy, or at least the first movie, had incorporated what was originally going to be a Magneto origin story. And I'm happy that they've pulled that thread through these three movies mm-hmm. and kept some of that. Like we get origin of, of Xavier in that, but it's not, I don't think, as well developed as this whole Eric Leshner thing. And I'm really appreciative of that aspect of the story, of that narrative. And, and it's, it's really well done. And let's just say when Apocalypse finds... Eric in the uh, smelting whatever they're doing <laughs> uh, in the factory there and Eric's like who the F are you and Apocalypse's like I'm here for you yeah. and he says don't stop me from killing these people and when Apocalypse kills those guys that was pretty great yeah that so that was a good that's him flexing his powers they yeah. should have done that more like, he's like I don't care about them they're nothing they just melted all ants. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, that, that was a great scene. And I like they got their one F-bomb in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They got their one swear word. Yeah. Kept a PG-13 uh-huh. or PG whatever it is. And yes. I, I appreciate that. I like how they do that every time. I find that quite funny that they yeah. have that one F-bomb that they, they utilize yeah. every single yeah. movie. It's Wolverine, yeah. Xavier last time, and Magneto this time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about um, the, the new cast that we got here. Like, And revisiting some of the older casts. We have Alex Summers. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did he not... Or was he not presumed to have been dead in Days of Future Past? Like he said, he, he was in the mm-hmm. Vietnam scene at the very start of Days of Future Past. Yeah. Mystique shows up and is collecting the mutants, collects him, Toad, and a few others. Yeah. And then we see what I think is implying that he's dead, that Bolivar Trask has taken him and done some, some, some sort of experimentation on him. But I don't really know, because he just kind of shows back yeah. up. And he kind of, and again, he had this departure in Days of Future Past that was left somewhat ambiguous. And I find that his departure here was also left quite ambiguous. Like we don't really, there's no body, there's no confirmation that he's dead. I don't know what happened to him <laughs> so, uh, after Days of Future Past. I mean, I also thought he was dead. I I took it to say that he was dead. The wing of of that that the girl, angel, they angel, called her. Yeah. She was also there, and Azazel was also dead, and I, I thought he was dead. But he was a nice presence back in the film. He looks like, again, he's supposed to be, he should be about 40. He's, he's a Vietnam War vet. Yeah, he was in true. He was in Days of Future Past, and he was yeah. also in X-Men First Class, so he should be a bit older mutant, but again, he looks like he's still about 20. Mm-hmm. And he brings Scott to... To the mansion. To the mansion, which is, again, it's a nice reunion that you see there with Alex and Professor X and Alex and Beast Mm -hmm. and kind of him coming back to the mansion where it kind of all started. Yeah. I thought that was a really nice tie to the rest of the movie, specifically X-Men First Class, because there's not many of those mutants actually left with the exception of Beast and uh, Mystique from that original group that they had recruited, that Charles Xavier and the CIA recruited. So again, I felt he's a really nice presence. Mm -hmm. And this actor that they got to play Scott Summers, another fantastic ad. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, I like him. You know, he had he had some of that quippiness to him, some of the angst that you have with not being able to open your eyes ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought he really, really nailed that part. I yeah, I think he did a really great job with with uh, with the role. And I mean, he really portrayed Scott Summers well. As you know, I remember him and I read him from from the X Men comic books. So yeah, it's cool to actually see him actually have some leadership skills. You know, going back to that helicopter scene, he really took command of. Uh, Nightcrawler and Gene Greg, he started calling the shots like a, like a natural-born leader. So that's pretty cool to see from uh, this character for once because we didn't see much of that from the Cyclops in the, in the old franchise, right? The old uh, trilogy. Yeah. No, and even encouraging the other students to, let's, let's get off campus and go do something and let's go steal a car. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I like that a bit about him. He's not this portrayed as more i think in the in the original time he's portrayed a bit more straight edge like i don't do that kind of stuff or here it's kind of like let's go and explore yeah. and and use yeah. our powers for something let's go to the mall and that was again the, the some of the funny stuff with nightcrawler him not knowing what's a mall yeah <laughs> i thought that was good i get a, a good laugh yeah. some of those lines there and i mean <laughs> just kind of just to like take them out like you said to the mall and like using his teenage angst i think there were some uh, mall scenes i think that were cut out of the movie too yeah there were it was, right? Yeah, I yeah. think that was a lot of the stuff because I think Jubilee had a bit more of a role. And yeah. I remember some of the, the the set photos in that having a little more of that involved in it because I don't know if they're going to come out with a Jubilee cut similar to what they did with the Rogue cut because I think <laughs> a lot of her scenes, she's not even name dropped really no. in this movie, but you know it's her. She's got the yellow jacket. She's got the look, everything. Yeah. And we don't really get any real development in, or even get to see her powers really. And in, in the comics too, I guess that she comes later on, which is fine. How old are these new cast members supposed to be? About 18 to 20? Yeah, 
16, 16, 17. I mean, they're all in high school, right? Yeah, so. I guess so, yeah. So, and the other new one that they introduced here was Jean Grey. And again, I thought she nailed it. She's a great actress from Game of Thrones. She embodied that whole Jean Grey, yeah. you know, that I don't know what to do with my powers. I'm really struggling here. And she had good repertoire with James McAvoy and uh, Professor X. Mm-hmm. And she really, I think, emitted a lot of that Jean Grey from the comics, I think, at least personally. I didn't really like her as much. I felt her and Jennifer Lawrence were, were the big, big phonings for this for this movie. And she is a great actress. I've seen her in uh, Game of Thrones the first two seasons, and I love her. She's she's awesome. I like some of her scenes, though, with uh, James McAvoy, like you said, where she's trying to understand her powers. But yeah. there's a couple scenes with her and Scott where I felt she was just going through the motions. But um, I can't wait to see what we get out of her for the next, uh, the next movie. That's for sure. And that's one thing this movie's done really well is, for me at least, it's, it's got me so intrigued and so excited for the next installment. I'm yes. ready to forget all of this. There's yeah. some good aspects, and I hope they pull through like the Magneto stuff and the yeah. Presser X stuff, the establishment of Charles Xavier's school, yeah. and this new cast of characters. I'm ready yeah. to, to go forward with this new X-Men. That new trilogy was set in the 90s, pull a lot yeah. from the cartoon, a lot from what we remember from our youth, and yeah. use this new cast of very talented actors and people that are okay with sitting in a chair for three hours to put on Nightcrawler or whatever. Because I felt, again, I agree with you, Jennifer Lawrence, some of her stuff was okay, and even uh, the guy that plays Beast. I felt yeah. like both of them were yeah. just kind of there because they had to be. They both said, well, I'm not going to my mutant form yeah. because of this and that and the other thing. But I think it's just because the actors didn't want to sit in the makeup. Absolutely. And both of them didn't have a whole lot to do throughout the movie um jennifer lawrence's character didn't have very much impact in the overall plot i was thinking through this you could take her out and replace her with a, a side character and you wouldn't really notice it one way or another yeah um and yeah. same with beast you could replace him with some sort of other scientist or something because mm-hmm. both of them with the exception of the fight scene at the end they have no real impact on the overall plot it's similar to like if you were to take Indiana Jones at a certain thing same things would just still happen right and i got that a lot from those two characters and they're supposed to be two of the veterans of the series. Yeah. And they just seemed to show up because they had to. They showed up for the minimum amount of days that they had. And they just filmed what they had to do, got through the lines, and left set. And so I was a little disappointed because I do like the actor that plays Beast. And I like that that character being part of the X-Men and being more of a leader in, of the X-Men. And I also like that it's not Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like Kelsey Grammer. I actually like this, <laughs> actually like this Beast, but yeah. <laughs> So we get we get a lot of, of James McAvoy's Professor X here when we get to the X Mansion. What do you guys think of James McAvoy? Because I'm really, really digging what he's doing with Professor X. Really? He, to me, I don't know. To me, he's, he's no Patrick Stewart. Yeah. I will give you that. But he seems to embody this role. I like his accent with it. I like how he has kind of this very generous, very willingness to want to teach these students, this, this earnesty about him. And I just really like what he's doing with that character. You guys, what do you guys think? I, I mean, I'm a bit torn. I do think he's a good actor, and I do think he's doing a good job. I find that maybe it's the writing a little bit that they've written him a bit whiny. Yeah, I find Professor X is is quite whiny throughout the movie, especially after he gets uh, captured by, or even in Cerebro as Apocalypse is is uh, going through his mind. Kind of after that, I found the whole his whole character just a bit whiny, especially when he was yelling at Jean to unleash her power, and he just kept saying that, "Unleash your power, Jean!" <laughs> and it just rubbed me the wrong way. He's a bit preachy sometimes. Yeah, like, uh, he he, did, he does admit this kind of like 
this father figure <laughs> that you know what you should be doing sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with Elliot. I, I'm, I'm pretty on the fence with them. I, I liked what he's done in the first two X-Men, but I, I want them to get to a point, I think it is the writing, I want them to get to a point where he's actually like that Professor Charles Xavier that we know where he's he's, he's mature, he, he's wise, and he, and, he, and he knows what he's doing, right? Um, McAvoy a couple couple times, I just didn't know his... his um, his angle, basically. I, 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 he was okay, though. He wasn't. He wasn't a. Like, he didn't take me out of the movie. That's for sure. He was no uh, Jennifer Lawrence. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like, but I find in every X movie they have to find a way to quickly sideline Pro- Professor X because he has. This, he's so powerful that he could just shut down whomever, yeah. right? And... So can we talk about his power for a second and how he was fighting Apocalypse? And just got beat within seconds. Yeah. <laughs> he's the strongest mind, and Apocalypse is going after him because he's got the strongest mind. Yeah. And they're on this, that, I mean, in the comics, it's the astral plane or whatever. Right. And they're fighting mind to mind, and Apocalypse is just killing him. Like, you, you could have put up a bit of a bigger fight. Does it? The thing that confused me a bit. Does it have to be a fist fight when it's no. in your mind? <laughs> no. Also, why? Yeah. Well, like uh, I was expecting a bit more of, a, you know, even go Inception or something. I don't know. Like I yeah. think there, there's something more you could have done than a simple James McAvoy going up and literally punching Apocalypse. Yeah. Like, there's no need for that. Absolutely yeah, not. You need they, they could they had they can do anything they want in that scenario. They're not bound by the physical world. To just yep. throwing punches and mm-hmm. trying to injure someone, you could do anything in that in your mind. They, and there's, I don't, I don't know. There's to me, there's so much more they could have done yeah. in that moment, in that yeah. fight, to make it look really cool. And I think that you know, taking cues from what even the stuff we saw in Doctor Strange, the trailers, all this kind of very psychedelic, out yeah. there, yeah. Inception-looking sort of yeah. graphics, you could have used you something done like anything. that. You know, and I like the part where he says, you you know, Apocalypse, you're in my house now. And all of a sudden it's the X-Mansion. And then Apocalypse hits him or whatever. And he says, you need a bigger house. And then he gets bigger, but doesn't, I don't know, he could have crashed through the house or something. Destroy the house because he's so huge. And then all of a sudden they're fighting in space or anywhere else. They could have gone anywhere, like you said. And it could have, they could have done anything with that. And instead it's Apocalypse punching Xavier and then standing on him. And then even he's bleeding. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I never got that fight at the yeah. end. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it would have been even cool if we got to see, you know, and this would maybe would develop more of his origin Apocalypse if McAvoy got in his head and you get to see this darker past of Apocalypse where he's coming from and he's using his family or whoever against him. And then that way you can kind of see where Apocalypse is coming from and then you can understand why Apocalypse is the way he is because throughout the movie we, we just, he's just this tyrant that just wants to rule. So... There's a lot they could have done with that scene to kind of flesh out the story, I think, right? But Yeah, they, uh, this this fight scene was really what... And we haven't even talked about uh, Quicksilver yet. Yeah. Um, but this yeah. this mental fight scene was a big, big letdown for me. Yeah, oh, I yeah, agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Let's jump into Quicksilver. Yeah. So we get him introduced somewhat early on in the movie. Very similar, very reminiscent of what we saw of him in Days of Future Past. He has come to the conclusion or a bit enlightened at least with the idea that Magneto is his father. Mm-hmm. And yep. his mother comes downstairs and kind of explains to him a bit what's going on and how not to trust him and, and that sort of thing. And he makes the decision to go and try to seek out Magneto right. at the X-Mansion. And he so, just so happens to show up at the exact right moment. And then we get another Quicksilver Fastest Man Alive scene. Right. 
what did you guys think of this? I'm really interested here because I have some thoughts on this scene. Because this was supposed yeah. to be the breakout scene. From everything we heard from before, this was, right. again, the big scene in the movie. Very similar to what we had in Days of Future Past. Like For me, yeah. Days of Future Past, that was yeah. an amazing scene. Yeah. I was not expecting it. It turned yeah. out fantastic. It looked incredible. Yeah. I'm going to give a little spoiler here. I do not think this this captured that same essence and maybe it's because it's something we've seen before mm-hmm. and it was slightly different but i want to get you guys thoughts first yeah yeah you know uh the scene at first when i saw where they're going is like, all right cool you know i was rubbing my hands getting ready to see another cool scene and it went on way too long it was is way too long it took me right out after a while i'm like okay i've seen him do this over and over again it is far too long and that's that's all i can say about it right. if, if they cut that down by like a minute it probably would have been a lot better, but after it just kind of got a little silly with the dog and the pizza, and yeah, it, it took me out a little bit there. Elliot, what do you uh, think about um, that one? I mean, I think the way they introduced Quicksilver to that scene was great. Yeah. You know, the bee slowed down, the car yeah. slowed down, the music yeah. started, you see him standing there like, Sweet oh, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Good song. I like the song that they had to too. And, and, you know, again, the music was a big part of this scene, yeah. I think, like we talked about last week. The thing that did it for me was... Not the length, it was the goofiness. Yeah. You're running around a mansion that's exploding, and you're literally saving people's lives from being incinerated, and you're goofing around. Right. right? We understand his character and that he's a bit of a goofy character, and he he comes in with some some great one-liners at certain times, and all his other lines, I think, were on point, and these ones miss the mark. This is such an important scene and such... Um, in the movie, it's a literally deadly scene. He should have just like gone out, gone in there, got out of there, and the pizza and the dog. I don't know, but yeah. the dartboard and the you know tab. eating a tw- eating a Twinkie. You no, know, eating a Twinkie was at the start, but though the tab can or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the can, the pop can. To me, just sucked me out of that scene because it made me feel like it wasn't a big deal. It didn't have any weight to the scene. Yeah. No consequences. No consequences. It. No consequences. Yeah. And it needs to have its death, right? Like, so it's pretty, it's pretty weird. Yeah, and it's, and I agree with you, Troy, that it was way too long. So the thing I liked about the, the scene in, in Days of Future Past, it was, it felt very fluid. It was yes. very forward progressing and it was contained within a small area. So mm-hmm. it felt believable that someone that had super speed could do this in that amount of time and he was yes. moving the bullets and he's seen everything was just slowly moving. Where I found that this was such a large scale, he's down in Cerebro. How he knew how to get there, yeah. we'll never know. He yeah. was in multiple rooms. He felt like he was back and forth a lot. He was here, he was there. And I felt like there was too much going on. It was too big of a space for him to believably be moving around, even at his speed. Like yeah. I, You'd almost have to say that he has some way of slowing down time, which I guess he technically does. But I just felt like it was dragged out way too long. Yeah. It probably, for me, would have been more impactful if, let's say, all the students are on a field trip or something, and he's yeah. just gone down and saved the people down in Cerebro. Yeah. So it just concentrated on them and had that whole scene, and you get some views of Apocalypse, the four horsemen, him messing around with them. If you want to throw some comedy in there, fine. And yeah. saving Beast or whomever, right? Mm-hmm. And all the people that uh, that the CIA or whoever the government comes to kidnap anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I think it would have been more impactful if it was more contained. Like yeah. the first one was like, we're only saving three characters in the one day's future past, very small room. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think it had that same weight to it. You're right, Elliot. There's, there's zero consequences felt in this because he's goofing yeah. around. You know, he's going to save everyone. 
and the X-Mansion gets destroyed. It was cool scene. It was well done. Apparently, this thing took forever to film. I guess the character or the actor that plays, I think his name is Evan Peters, he spent the most time on set mm-hmm. filming the scene out of any other actor. Wow. And so you can appreciate the effort that went into it. But again, yeah. they're trying to top themselves, which is fair. But yeah. they did it in a way that didn't fit the story yeah. and took away from some of the stuff that was supposed to be more impactful in that moment. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and you know what? If Like you said, if, for example, if everyone was, I don't know, on a, on a field trip or something, you could have done something with him searching around yeah. the mansion and running away from the explosion somewhere yeah and actually like feeling the heat so to speak and yeah even rescuing a few of the key characters who were still around so to me i i mean it was the same as days of future past uh we all knew it was coming mm-hmm. i think it was well done overall in terms of the the visuals and the visual effects and the sounds but too goofy yeah agreed Bit of overkill. Um, going back though, but with Havoc being killed off, um, I was wondering, do you guys think that Mister Sinister could maybe be behind cloning this guy and bringing him back? Because we do see that that after credit scene, right? So I was just wondering, because it's kind of Havoc's kind of a big, not a big deal, but he's he's a, he's a character worth bringing back, I would say, especially the way they killed him off. So I was, I was curious to see what you guys thought about that. I'm not convinced that he's dead. Yeah, uh, I'm convinced he's dead. You think so? Yeah. But to me, you need to have something and be felt more, like when you're sitting in a movie theater, show his yeah. body. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I know it would probably be incinerated or whatever. Yeah, and maybe I, it's I too looked much. for this the second time. And so as Quicksilver goes to rescue, you know, Beast and Mystique and whomever is downstairs, yeah. uh, you see the fire. You don't see it in Gulf Havoc, so you're, you're right, you don't actually see it, but you do right. see the fire spreading from exactly where he was standing. Oh, okay. So my assumption at this point, uh, similar to when we thought havoc was dead last time <laughs> is that he is now again dead maybe that'll maybe that'll build some of scott's characters and it'll come up again yeah, yeah probably will in some way or another so once we get quicksilver saving everyone we've get the the reemergence of colonel william striker who is the same actor from days of future past and i like this guy i have no idea who he is as an actor but the way he holds himself i'm like this guy is badass yeah. like he seems like an evil dude but did you feel that this whole scene was necessary for the movie? Because it's clearly a shoehorned in scene yeah. to show Alkai Lake, to show the Weapon X program, to show basically Wolverine yeah. again. We have these kids captured for whatever reason because all the nukes were lit off by Apocalypse, which is something we really didn't talk about. Is <laughs> yeah. him lighting all the nukes off. I thought that was kind of cool because I was like, oh, he's just going to shoot all the nukes at everyone. And yeah. then he's like, no, I want to do this without any retaliation. So fires them all into space. thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> to me, I was curious about why he would shoot the nukes into space only to want to control the entire population and kill most of them later on anyways. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> sure. No <laughs> motivated. But I thought it was kind of a, as, I like the concept of it maybe mm-hmm. a bit more. Uh, but um, Alkali Lake was not necessary and no. we're in alberta alkali lake is in alberta you're telling me they took one helicopter ride from upstate new york all the way to alberta <laughs> quit a ride yeah <laughs> that's a four-hour plane ride i can't imagine Minimal. how long it would be. Yeah. yeah in a helicopter so anyways that was my problem with it i'd have to say that this scene was clearly put in there for a reason but i'm i was happy to see wolverine back to be honest with you and it's a slight different take on the Weapon X program. Like, he doesn't shoot up out of the water and kill everyone and run away. 
he's contained within some sort of whatever cage. cage. Yeah. And he's got that really dopey looking mind control thing on. That's straight out of the comics. Yeah. And I didn't know if they need to go that far because I was like, at first I was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, I think I've seen that in the comics before. I think the purpose that this whole scene served was to demonstrate that a different Wolverine is coming. The Berserker Wolverine. Because he goes just freaking nuts in this. Yeah. And there's a lot more blood than yeah. we've seen in previous X-Men movies when it comes to the fits of rage through Wolverine. Yeah. He kills He kills a lot of people in this scene. And it's bloody. Like it's mm-hmm. if you look at the past one, so there is uh, there's like a Wolverine kill count that a, well, a guy on YouTube, Mister Sunday Movie, threw up, and it shows all Wolverine's kills, mm-hmm. and they're not bloody like that. It's a lot of just yeah. stabbing in and out. You don't see blood on the claws. You don't see blood on his hands really, and yeah. you don't see blood splatter on the wall for sure. This they, is something very. Different. They're trying to establish yeah. something more. They're trying to get us prepared for a rated R Wolverine movie. I think so. They used as much blood as they're probably allowed to. Yeah. And all. And it's all used in this scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get this allotted surface area of blood that you can yeah. show in a PG-13 movie. You're right. It was all in this yeah. in the final credits scene, right? <laughs> but Wolverine doesn't have any lines. He doesn't speak, with the exception of doing his screaming. Mm-hmm. I'm always happy to see Hugh Jackman. I never tire of him in that role. <laughs> and again, he's looking huge. And yeah. he has that one moment with Jean Grey. Yeah. General Hagen established this like Wolverine is starting to look like he's 45, 50, <laughs> and she's clearly like 18, and yeah. they're trying to establish some sort of bond there. And I thought that was a bit weird. Yeah. That because we know from the comics and we know from the, the original timeline that he's always had a thing yeah. for Jean Grey. Even in the, the his most recent solo outing, the Wolverine, mm-hmm. she's in that movie as a flashback, right? Yeah. Or as some sort of ghost presence, I don't know. Yeah. And it was I felt a little weird because I felt that they're trying to tell us that like he's immediately fallen in love with her there and because she's connected yeah. through him with the mind and all that. But she does have this one offline that she's given him some of those memories back. And she basically gave him Logan, <clears throat> which is all that she said she could find. Yeah, so she's unlocked a few things there and then he takes off into the woods. Yeah. I was expecting a bare ass Hugh Jackman to run into the woods. <laughs> Did anybody else in your guys' movie theater laugh when he ran out of the, the bunker there? I thought it would be funny and a couple people laughed in our theater. I was curious if anybody laughed. No, I don't, no, I don't no, think so. He did oh, kind of look kind of goofy running out there. He looked like a homeless man running away from yeah. something. Yeah, looked, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's I guess that's kind of what you picture when you think of him running out into the snow. I think he was only in there for marketing purposes. Uh, that's my take on it. Worked on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just imagine if you didn't know he was going to be in there. I would have went nuts. That so in X-Men First Class, I, he was not advertised to be in that movie. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie mm-hmm. where they go up to him when they're trying to recruit the different mutants and he basically just says, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, awesome. I, I remember watching the movie and being like, oh man, that was unreal. Because we assumed that this was a different timeline when yeah. it came out in First Class, right? And then to have the original Wolverine stuck in there, it's like, whoa, okay, something's different. What's going on here? And so obviously as well, in First Class, he still had his bone claws then. You can yeah. imagine. He wouldn't have had his adamantium just yet. Well, so. he had bone claws in the Beast Future Past too. Yeah, you're right. So. He wakes up before Weapon right. X. So this is a good time to talk about, at the end of Days of Future Past, we had William Stryker pulling Wolverine out of the the river in Washington there. And his eyes flicker, which is clearly telling us that Mystique's taken the form of William Stryker. Mm-hmm. What did she do with Wolverine, and how did he still end up back in the Weapon X program? Again, yeah. another drop plot point. Like, Brian Singer, like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's horrible. That's why I think X-Men needs to get away from this, like, trying to fix the mistakes and just give us a proper story. I feel like every movie, they're always backpacking, right? 
But again, another a quick drop line here with Mystique saying, I tried to save this man or mm. Logan or Wolverine or yeah. whatever you want to call him, and yeah. I wasn't able to. And she showed that she has some angst for that, and maybe that's why she's out saving mutants. I tried to save one, and he still got taken away, and still got put into the Weapon X program. Quick throwaway, and that's why she's upset, and that's why she's yeah. out hunting and being this mutant mercenary. Yeah. Boom, there, we don't, it's fine. We don't need to know how they caught him. No. We just yeah. need to re- know that they recognize that it happened. Exactly, and yeah. that she lost him. That Or just maybe Brian Singer, when he needs to stop doing, or who's ever writing these, is yeah. stop putting these little teases in if you're not going to follow up on them. Yeah. If you're yeah. uncertain as to where a character's going or if a character's going to be even in the next movie, just yeah. don't do it. You don't need that. You don't need to tease stuff like that if you have no intention of ever following up or even having any remarks towards it. Yeah, especially because when we watch movies now like Marvel, like even DC's pretty good at this. When they give you something, you know, for the, the people that are really into the, to the movies, you can pick up on these little like, Easter eggs. And they'll talk back to the later films. So they do a pretty good job, DC and Marvel. But Fox does a horrible job following back or following up with these little Easter eggs that they do. So I really wish they'd start tightening the grip on that. So another thing that <laughs> I feel like I've, I'm just spewing out issues here, but I, I just want to reiterate, I did enjoy I did have an enjoyable <laughs> movie-going experience. But when we have our post-Alkali Lake, we have the X-Men team more or less forming, we have Scott Summers open up a cabinet to black flight suits again. Yes. Why, why, why do we need to continue to revisit? Why not just have the costumes that they had at the very end? They were awesome. Why yeah. is he so reluctant to embrace these comic accurate costumes? Like, how many, how many movies has he gone through where people are like, we're tired of seeing black leather jumpsuits? Just yeah. give us comic. It doesn't matter. Just embrace it. Like, you could have said, again, another throwaway line, we didn't want to ever have to force you guys to wear these, but here's your X-Men suits, people. Here they are. But the way they did it, too, you know, they're going in the jet, and he's like, hey, look, there's fight suits. I was like, really? <laughs> like that, I was shaking my head like, when I saw that part. But I just wish they went with the simple design that they did in Deadpool. I really love, like, that yellow and black yeah. look. I think that looks pretty comic accurate, pretty cool, but... That throwaway line, throwaway line they used there, I was just like, wow, really? But the costumes at the end were awesome. Like, they, I really, really liked them. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I think it would have been hard to introduce those costumes beforehand just because of the situation that they were in. I mean, yeah. they were just kind of running around at that point. But you just need a smile from Beast and be like, hey, guys, I actually have something back at the house that's in some sort of lock vault. The house was blown up. I know, but maybe it's in some, like, I don't know, safe box that's not fireproof or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> we can buy into yeah. a lot of this stuff going on. Like, I, I hear you 100%. I totally understand. Like, you I, just need, again, Beast just needs to be, I've been actually working yeah. on something. Because like, they, they see this through the, this idea that Beast, he wants to bring to back together the X-Men, mm-hmm. but Charles doesn't want to because he doesn't want his students fighting. So he's building the the warbird or whatever it's called yeah. why not how, like why isn't he built suits yeah I, I don't know i think again it's just something that I, when i think about it i'm just like why not just have them wear them like or just show up like it doesn't matter we had the horsemen show up in like these like awesome metal costumes and no problems there like psylocke for inexplicable reasons is wearing next to nothing <laughs> it has this perfect comic accurate costume but we still have to have our x-men and have to have an exact reason why our x-men show up in you know the beautiful comic accurate suits i don't think we need it i think we could have just went straight there yeah. or maybe they could have done hey here's flight suits and those are the comic accurate ones yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like don't just don't put them in black leather just be like here yeah oh they just happen to fit us 
Oh yeah. man, they look so great and they're so good looking. Oh, William Strecker must have been, you know, maybe yeah. wanted to try to brainwash us and make us soldiers, and these were the suits that were made for us. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, it seems dumb, but like, just whatever. At this yeah. point, it's just like we've been asking for it for forever, and we get four seconds of it at the end of the movie. So you're going to get it next time? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we can't really trust the continuity at this point. <laughs> going to show up. Gonna so, <laughs> hey guys, black leather flight suits again. <laughs> so let's talk about this final fight scene. It's a movie called X-Men Apocalypse. We haven't spent that much time actually talking about Apocalypse. That's true. I mean, I think we said earlier on that he doesn't really do that much. And... Yeah. You never really see his powers. And again, here, you continue to not see his powers. He's just encouraged Magneto to rip all of the metal on all of planet Earth out of the ground. And it's kind of cool, but at the same time, it's like, where is this going? Where is this going? (laughs) And at the same time, he's trying to put his consciousness into Xavier so that he can control all the people on the Earth. Both of these things are happening. He wants to control everybody on Earth, and he wants to destroy the Earth. Or something. (laughs) Why doesn't he just wait like 20 minutes and then do his transferring after? Like they've got Xavier, they've got Magneto doing his thing. You don't need Magneto to do anything if you're going to be in control of Charles Xavier's mind. True. (laughs) Like just have everybody protect you. Yeah. And that's the fight scene. Well, that's what it is. They're attacking the pyramid. Yeah, you don't need to have the world being raised by Magneto. That is just boggles my mind why that's a thing in this movie. (laughs) It was... and did, uh, did, the, did the use of the CG green screen like take you guys out of the film at all during this point in the, in the final battle, or was it, was it just me? Because I thought the special effects were just horrendous at this point in the movie, and the green screen was just... It was like prequel-worthy almost, Star Wars prequel-worthy. Hmm. I didn't get that... I wasn't maybe fixated too much, and it didn't bother me. It didn't, no, that didn't bother me. It definitely didn't take me out of the movie at this point. Now it's going to the next time I see it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, a big battle... Civil War style, everybody's battling each other. Why didn't Quicksilver tell him he's his son? I <laughs> like yeah, that would have been a great reason for Magneto to switch sides back again. He's got a family. Yeah, you know, bring up all this anguish again. Oh, I have a son. Oh, <laughs> what am I doing? Well, they uh, laid the groundwork. Like they laid it on so thick too yeah. that that's the direction they were going, and then to have it not come out at the end. And yet Magneto still what because. Mystique talks him down? I guess, kind of. But they had a relationship, I guess. But you know, we've established that he's lost his family. He's lost faith in humanity. What better way to regain your faith to find out that you have a son, you have a, a, yeah. a bloodline family member? Like She knows his wife and, son- and daughter were just killed. And she doesn't push Quicksilver to say anything. And Quicksilver doesn't say anything. But apparently Mystique tells Storm at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and every, I don't know who else knows. I don't know. Jubilee probably knows. I, I don't know. Like the, I, again, because they they've done so well with Magneto, and they made him such a, a powerful emotional character, and to not take that turn right at the mm-hmm. end, and then for him just to snap and be like, well, actually, I betrayed them yeah. when when Apocalypse gets all ticked off. Yeah. And what was the deal with them just throwing shit at Apocalypse yeah. at the end? <laughs> like I don't like what was. The point there. This, this, <laughs> as we talk through this, I'm this getting more and more frustrated with this movie. This was not a good battle scene. This was not a good fight scene by any measure. And I mean, overall, like I like the movie as well. But this did not cut it. No, and especially coming, you know, we're, we're falling mean, in the shadows of Civil War, 
which had one of the most epic mm-hmm. superhero versus superhero fight scenes of all time. Like a battle royale plus a two-on-one at the end that was also really good and really emotional. Yeah. I mean, put some emotion into this. There's yeah. no stakes or none. No stakes. Going back to Avengers 1, there's so many other fight scenes and other superhero movies that you can go back to. And they executed way better than, than what we saw here, you know? The stakes were high, but it didn't really feel like it was. And Magneto, so the whole fight scene just stood in his metallic ball, staring into space, while, you know, half the people getting their ass kicked by um, Apocalypse there. It was, I don't know, it is it's a pretty weak fight scene, in my opinion. I, I think that the writers wanted Magneto to be destroying the world, so that at yeah. the end of it, he could be redeemed. I think yeah. they started at the end and said Magneto needs to be redeemed for a third time. Like a storyline where you have a redemption, like when you kill billions of people, you can't yeah. be redeemed for that. Like it's, it's yeah. similar going through. That's one of the things with Star Wars I always had a little bit of issues with, with the redemption of Darth Vader. Like you've killed billions of yeah. people. How do you redeem that in one single solitary moment of faith or asking for forgiveness or whatever? Like I know with Catholicism, that's all you have to do is ask for forgiveness yeah. and you're, you're completely absolved of all your sins. But at the same time, you still killed a billion people, or yeah. you still killed millions of people while trying to raise the earth momentarily. And you, you could have went down the path of maybe not having this type of destruction, maybe having Magneto sitting somewhat on the sidelines of this fight and having him you know, internally struggle with, I don't know which side to go here yeah. to, and then have him make that decision at the end, this impactful decision, this emotional decision to go with what he's considered his family. Yeah. And, you know, and just have the consequences of him not participating in the fight be the big issue. You know, him not helping them fight Apocalypse as they're losing, as they're getting their asses kicked, as Apocalypse is destroying the world. Having him sitting, Magneto sitting on the sidelines, I think would have been much more impactful when he decides to change sides. One thing we didn't talk about Magneto as well, and this is a bit out of place, but in all of the news stories when they were searching for him, they didn't bring up the fact that he was in prison in Days of Future Past for killing JFK. Yeah. And they talked about the DC event, but they never talked about this person who, yeah, was had this whole DC event and also killed JFK. <laughs> like, that also seems pretty important to me. And again, that's another line they could have just said, hey, let's watch this last movie a second time. Yeah. Like, you wrote the damn... Like, there's zero mention of Days of Future Past. Right? None. Almost. Like, there's a few callbacks, but not much. Yeah, the fight scene could have been written substantially different to make it exceptionally better. Yeah. And it it all caps off with revisiting the Phoenix in Jean Grey. Which, when I first saw it, I thought they were going to be very subtle about it. Because there's a couple instances when it it flames up. Mm -hmm. And there's one really short one. And you get this, what you think looks like a bird. And I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. They're kind of going to tease that. But then they go full yeah. Phoenix. <laughs> like, they just bring that right out. And yeah. it gets, again, no explanation for this. If you've seen the other ones, you kind of get an idea. But the Phoenix is supposed to be like this cosmic entity, right? It's not something that's ingrained yeah. in Jean Grey. It's something I think that's, they're putting it in her. I yeah, like just right they're, away. They're taking out the cosmic aspect of it. Yeah. And, I mean, they did tease that in, or they didn't, not to say they teased it, but it is in the original X-Men movies when Charles played by Patrick Stewart, talks about how he locked away part of Jean's mind. Yeah. Because she's so powerful and because she doesn't know. Yeah. Um, the thing, I I didn't mind her going on full Phoenix. I thought that she might get there slowly throughout, you know, 
10 seconds or 20 seconds. Not that she'd just like explode right away into this giant phoenix power, but that she might have to work at it. You know, she like Professor Xavier whines at her and he's like, unleash your power, unleash your power, Jean, unleash your power. Gene, can you unleash your power, please? <laughs> like, I'm, uh, get my ass kicked here on the astral plane. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, and then she just walks out, which I thought was cool. And then boom, Full she's case. a bird. Yeah, I thought like, it was too rushed. Like it was yeah. too much. Like yeah. let her struggle. Yeah. Let her struggle. But that's something that should be pulled through a trilogy of movies. Yeah. Is a struggle to not only cope with the, the size and magnitude of this power, but also controlling the phoenix. Because... You go right out there and she controls the Phoenix right away. This is something mm. in the comics that she struggled with for decades yeah. is yeah. controlling this and how yeah. it controls her. And this seems like she's got a pretty good handle on it because she's just destroyed Apocalypse with it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I thought, you mentioned this last week, I thought it would have been better if they had a locked Apocalypse way yes. in some mental state. Exactly. Instead of just melting him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or having... I Apocalypse. Yeah. And, or having some way of... of forcing him back to sleep and then just yeah. having that there in the background all the time. Yeah. Like yeah. We, he's asleep. We don't know if he's going to wake up again. We don't know what he's done or have Jean Grey and, and Professor X somehow tag team mental yeah. block him out of. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's like, you know, if, if Apocalypse is beating Xavier as badly as he was and Jean Grey comes in and they both mentally attack him. Yeah. Um, and as well, anybody who's any watched any of the cartoons from the '90s knows that anytime Jean Grey uses her power, she faints. She like uses up all her power in one burst, and here she was, didn't break a sweat. <laughs> she she just unleashed the phoenix, and then that's it. She goes she goes and has a, I don't know. She goes and hangs out. Yeah, again, it's these plot contrivances. Mm-hmm. It's this use of powers when they're convenient to progress the narrative to a certain point. And this was in particular used to come to the conclusion of the movie to end Apocalypse. Yeah. And again, I thought it was rushed and they could have done a lot better with this. Yeah. How about that end credits scene? Yeah, with the sinister, Mr. Sinister kind of thing. Yeah, like so again, I felt that this movie as a whole, it didn't really cater to people that hadn't seen X-Men movies before. This had assumptions in it that you've seen these characters before. And if you've seen Days of Future Past, there's, again, implications that you've seen the original trilogy. Yeah. Oh, frick, I hate using that. <laughs> the original <laughs> timeline movies. But anyone who has no idea anything about comics, because this is a very subtle reference, right? Yes. This isn't something that's like Thor's Hammer or whatever, right? This is, this is very out there. If you're not really in tune with the comic books, you have no idea what the hell's going on here. Right, yeah. so we got the the men walking down. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where this was going at, right up until they closed the case. Yeah, I either. think that was the intention of it. But yeah. you have the guys walking down the corridor through all the blood. Again, we're highlighting the fact that Wolf Berserker Wolverine's coming. Mm-hmm. We're cleaning up the blood and all that, and opening the case. You get the different vials: Weapon X, blood, yeah, in close Essex Corporation, which everyone's assuming, including ourselves, that it's a reference to Nathaniel Essex, Essex, which is Mister Sinister. Yeah. And, I mean, the next movie can go in, in a bunch of different directions. I mean, you have the Phoenix. You have Magneto and Quicksilver. You have Mr. Sinister. You have Berserker Wolverine. And you have now X-23. Yeah. Which is yeah. a female yes. clone of Wolverine. So, yes. I think uh, the doors open wide for anything. <laughs> and everything. And a bunch of stuff to not be ever mentioned again. All right, guys. Well, let's throw down our final verdicts here. We'll start with you, Troy. 
Closing <laughs> remarks, and let's give a rating out of 10 for X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, so going out of 10 for Apocalypse, I'm probably going to give this about a 5. I'm going to go back. I'm going to see it again like I do with most of these movies, you know. But, uh, yeah, right now I sit with a 5. In my opinion, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, it's the worst Brian Singer X-Men film, I would say. So I have I have X-Men, was it Days of Future Past at number 1. I have First Class... Sorry, I have X2 as number two, first class as number three, next one is as um, number four. Uh, this this movie, to me, is almost on par with, um, what's the third one? X3. Yeah, not you bad. Know? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I you know the thing is, too, I mean, at least with X3, going back to when it was, they were kind of in a crisis, right? I mean, Brian Singer just left them. Superhero movies were nowhere near as on a level as good as they are right now. Um, I, I really think they could have stepped their game up a lot more on this movie. It's interesting you equate the third movie with the third movie because there was a little drop reference yeah. in there. I do, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy it. So yeah. we had the Return of the Jedi reference. Yeah. We also had an Empire reference, which is the second Marvel movie to reference Empire Strikes Back in, in the last month. month. <laughs> but the drop line I felt was a bit weird because they, they referred to the third one's always the worst. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know if that was a wink at themselves or if that was a slight towards Last Stand. Right. I didn't quite I think it was get both. that. I think it was both. That would have been much more effective in a second movie in a trilogy right. or something, right? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. it was a bit yeah, a bit of both. Like, I don't know if that's a bit of self-awareness, that maybe this didn't turn out as good, but they wouldn't have done that, I don't think. <laughs> but it's funny how it, how it landed that way, because yeah. I would agree that it's the worst of the three re- soft reboot, yeah. revisit, sequel, prequel sort of things. Elliot, the X-Fan, what did you think? Um, I'm... You know, we've been talking a lot right now, and and I think my bias is coming out a little bit. And I'm, I mean, I'm going to go a seven and a half. I'm going to give it an average rating. I do understand the critiques that Troy brought, and you know, talking through it, there were a lot of we can say scenes that didn't need to be there, and scenes that could have been done differently, and and themes that could have been done differently. I like the story. I think most of the actors did a great job. And we just didn't get enough of the characters we wanted. We didn't get enough of Psylocke, who I was really looking forward to. We didn't get enough of Archangel, and we didn't get enough of Storm. And they stood around a lot. There's a lot of standing. (laughs) They did. They did. I want to get one thing across here. that From listening to this, and I'm assuming going back (laughs) and listening to what I've said and what we've said through this, you'd think that none of us enjoy this movie. But (laughs) personally, I I had a good moving-going experience. I found it... It was not only because I was sitting in the, the great lazy boy chair, but <laughs> it was it was a movie I could go in and, you know, I, we talked about the idea, this concept of going in and turning your brain off for two hours and getting away. Like, it's a good way for me to decompress after a longer weekend. And I did enjoy the movie a lot more than I thought I was going to, which is a, a positive for me. I find myself with these comic book movies more recently. I find myself, to some degree, walking out a bit frustrated. And I couldn't really put my finger on it for a while. But then I really kind of sat back and thought about it. And it was like, I feel like that someone, the writers or whomever, aren't paying attention to the important aspects of the stories. They have decades of back catalog stories of these characters that they can reference. They have the benefit of hindsight from both the personal and the fan perspective of what has been done right, what's been received well in the comic books. And they they don't really seem to be leveraging off that. And I don't like sitting here and talking down at writers because... I don't know if it was the same in every theater, but the the, uh, the actress who played Storm came out at the very start and was like, we put thousands and thousands of hours into this and pour our heart and souls into this movie. I really hope you enjoy it. And to sit here for an hour and a half or so 
and kind of take it apart. I, I find that difficult. And I said the same thing with Batman for Superman, even though some people might think I take pleasure in doing so. <laughs> I don't actually take pleasure. What I And what I said with Batman for Superman, what I say about this is I want to see a good movie. I want to yep. see good story arcs. I want to see good character progression. And I want to see the characters that are beloved from the comics adapted into a suitable and exciting and well thought out characters on screen. And I don't feel like this movie delivered that in its entirety. I'm not expecting every single Marvel movie to be this interwoven, connected through several movies, having layers and layers upon Easter eggs and hints and references and seeding of future movies. I don't need that for every single movie. I just need a good, well-thought-out narrative that progresses the arc of these movies that I've been watching for 16 years. Like I still enjoy these movies, and I still get excited to go see them. And these are characters that... Like having almost a two decades invested in this franchise, that's a lot of, of time, effort. And I'm not saying that this is something that I have to be doing or I want to be doing. It's something that I enjoy doing. And I want to enjoy my experiences where I feel like this movie fell short of that. I'm excited about the new cast. I'm excited to see Fastbender and McAvoy come back. I do not really care if Jennifer Lawrence comes back. I'd like to see the actor that plays Beast come back. I'd like to see them carry this new narrative forward, this new character arcs, this new developments, continue to push Magneto forward, something that they've done really well over the last three movies. And let's forget about the rest. Let's move into a new era of trilogies. Let's maybe stick around in the 90s for two, three movies and just go yeah. from there. Let's yeah. let's build on the new cast, the, the great talent that they've brought into this movie. Let's change directors. Let's change writers. Let's bring some new blood. First Class benefited from the aspect that Matthew Vaughn and different writers came into this franchise and yeah. changed it up. When we went back to Brian Singer, like I'm not saying that he's a terrible movie maker or whatever. The franchise is stale and it needs new blood. It needs to be injected with something different. And yeah. I think pulling back and doing something completely different with this new cast of characters that now I feel somewhat attached to. I feel like that they, they've, they've ushered in a new era of characters that I can get on board with. Let's go forward with that. Yeah. That's what I have to say about this movie. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. It's something, like I said, I enjoyed. I had some big issues with, but I'm happy and I'm excited to see what they're going to do going forward with these characters. I would like to see in the next one, Quicksilver's big scene be a part of a bigger scene. Yeah. Right? Like, instead, of, instead of just him running around again. We've seen that twice. Uh, I don't know how, how hard, like I don't know this the behind the scenes work of that. Yeah. Looks, um, I'm sure it's very difficult. It looks difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's where it needs to go with him. And I think that would, I think that would really elevate it. Well, they started to get a little bit of that when he's punching apocalypse. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Kind of. But again, it was just him again. Yeah. Right. So, you know, make him part of the team. So. Uh, uh, for the next one, actually, I would like to see now that the team's kind of formed. I would like to see them go back to days of future past and have the team lead have that cool kind of action sequence together, you know, when we had like Iceman and yeah. Bishop. Like that was awesome. That was like, that was incredible. I'd like to see him go back with the next one and have some kind of like synchronized team fighting yeah. moments going now on. Another team. As like the chemistry who knows what's up, what's up. So, Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Although at times frustrating talking about X-Men Apocalypse. Um, you can always get us at hashtag enter the nerd room. If you're looking for us, our Twitter handles are at the end of the episode. Elliot, where can we find you again? I'm on Twitter at ESWeinst. Awesome. Where you can find me. Been great having you. We look forward to having you back again to review Thanks. some more movies I'm, in the uh, near future. I'm looking forward to the next one. We'll see what comes out. Hey, Suicide Squad dropping here in a few months. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be reviewing some comic books 
And we got some other movies in the docket like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, Independence Day. So we're getting into our big time movie season here. So we're going to be reviewing some movies that aren't particularly comic book movies, which we somewhat specialize here at the Nerd Room in. But we're going to dip our feet into something a bit different, some of these more big summer blockbusters. Awesome. So for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Elliot. And thank you for entering the Nerd Room. X-Men Apocalypse. (laughs) Just what we thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, guys, we are out. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. You can find our hosts, Tim, Sunday, and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM1912Podcasting and Troy, the boy 87 